Welcome back to episode 51 of the Rugby Paper Podcast. I hope you caught your breath after an unbelievable weekend of Six Nations action, in which the headline was Scotland grabbing a famous win at Twickenham in a truly memorable Calcutta Cup game. Joining me and the full house of columnists today is Scotland legend, British and Irish line and ITV commentator on Saturday, Scott Hastings. Yeah, welcome back, Nick. Welcome back, Chris. Welcome back, Brendan. Hell of a weekend. Obviously, we've got the full house of columnists, a lot to discuss. And first of all, let me introduce to you our special guest for today, who, well, he's just told me he's very busy. He'll also be much happier than the rest of us. Over 60 Scotland caps, Scotland legend, former British and Irish Lion, and commentator on Saturday, Scott Hastings. So how was Twickenham, Scott? Oh, flower of Scotland. <laughs> well, I'm still celebrating. No, it was, uh, we were just chatting there, weren't we? It, what a game of rugby. And uh, it was a Calcutta Cup thriller. And, and you know, both sides contributed to that. Um, Scotland went into that fixture, probably, would you believe, on form and everything in sync. And they, they actually delivered. And uh, it was a marvellous occasion. Um, the Calcutta Cup matches are really special. I don't think people really... Uh, appreciate that depth of history, the culture, the rivalry within each camp. Uh, and uh, Scotland, I thought, were magnificent. And and I think a lot of, you know, fellow, you know, former players that I played against, uh, journalists and the like, they recognised there was a real threat in that Scotland team and they got it right. For it, uh, for England, under Steve Borthwick, there was a lot of, a lot of good stuff that England played, um, but they made def- mistakes defensively. I think ultimately that's what cost them the game. Let's stay with Scotland before we get to the England side of things, because um, I'm sure everyone will have a lot to say on that. But so we did our score predictions, and yeah, all five of us, Jerry Goscott was on last week, did predict an England win. So we've all been made to look a little bit silly. Um, I don't think I've seen as complete, complete a Scotland performance as that in quite some time. Scott, would you agree? Absolutely, 100%. It was a very wholesome performance. Um, Scotland had done their homework and, and, you know, they're like, let's take let's take the set piece first of all. That their lineup was superbly well organised, and you know the, the the two lock forwards and Gilchrist and Gray really put pressure on that England throw. Uh, they were creative within their uh, their, their lineup as well. Scotland threw a couple right to the back through George Turner. Um, they were clever with their decision making. They were solid as a scrum unit. But also Gregor Townsend's selection was based on form. He went for combinations. He went for the axes at 9-10 with Nick White, who's doing really well for London Irish. Um, sorry, Ben White. Sorry, my apologies. Um, um, you know, Alongside Russell, who's obviously a great creative talent. Um, Tua Pilotto was magnificent in the centre alongside um, uh, Jones. And there was a decision that he, he dropped Chris Harris, who defensively was a great centre, but... Scotland are an attack-orientated team, and then Duhan van der Merwe, a very strong performer who's been playing well for Edinburgh. So things sort of fell into Scotland's hands a little bit. There was more cohesion within their play. There was a, a, a settledness about their side. There was a composure and an understanding uh, about their side. And I think that, that came across in their attack-minded way of playing. You mentioned Duhan van der Merwe. Um I think I'm right in saying that I, you know, that was you on commentary losing your mind in the background. <laughs> what was going through your head 28 minutes in when, well, he beat five defenders, left them in their wake or whatever it was? It was extraordinary because the vision we had from the commentary box that he literally, he took this ball and the minute he beat Merchant, you know he was into the open parade, but 
His strength was extraordinary. The sidesteps that he had, and then to hand off Alex Dombrant on the way to the line just goes to show what a difficult fella he is putting down. But it was again, I was I was trying to set the context of the 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 depth of history within this fixture. We've seen some brilliant tries over the years. Remember, remember there was an England fly half called Shaw who held the ball in two hands, who scored a wonderful try, black and white television, Nick Kane and Brendan Gallagher will undoubtedly remember that try because they were there. Um, but it was it was just one of these great moments in sport when individual class and brilliance above everything else. And it was uh, it was a marvellous moment. And Nick Mullins, my fellow commentator on ITV, he he just got it absolutely right. He absolutely held it. He said it was one of the great Calcutta Cup tries and, and we're never going to tire of, well, certainly as a Scotsman, never, never tire of that one. Brendan, I'll come to you as obviously an England supporter. For that try, were you clapping, clapping, and cheering anyway? I've got, I've got, I've got to step in there. I've never been an England supporter. Um, Irish, you've not seen that shamrock on his jersey. No, Anglo Irish who spent four years in Wales. Oh, well, that's completely the last 15 years has habitually put a tenner on Scotland to win every time for the championship on the theory that one day they will win it. And I want to see a side playing like Scotland win the championship one day. I love Italian rugby, and we all love the French. So, when you get to when you get to our great age, you can just enjoy the rugby. And actually, I was buzzing the way Scotland played. I loved it. I loved the match. It was a really, really good match, uh, and it was exactly what the game of rugby needed. It all been getting a bit negative the last month or two. It was bloody brilliant, absolutely superb. And uh, that that try was the pièce de résistance. And I, I, I attempted a little sort of roll of honour the next morning in the paper. I make it. Equal um, with Richard Sharps as the greatest ever Calcutta Cup try, and you know, and that includes Andy Hancock, length of the field to beat the Scots. Uh, Woodward, Clive Woodward got an incredible jinking try one year, uh, and our fellow correspondent Jerry Guska got an app. No, he made an absolutely magnificent try for Underwood ninety three. I think Scotty was playing that one um, when they He's went to the centre. Who Scott Hastings made look good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, uh, so uh, I, I think a lot of people enjoyed the win and it it was all the more palatable for those of an English persuasion in that England also played pretty well in a memorable rugby match. It certainly was memorable. Chris, you were saying off air that you caught Gregor Townsend after the game. Yeah, um, um, I go back quite a long way with Gregor and he's, I mean, he divided some opinions as a player, that's for sure, and he's divided opinions as a coach, um, particularly in the Scotland role. I've always been a Townsend man. I thought he was one of the great unsung heroes of the 97 Lions Tour. Um, uh, I think I was pleased for him, really pleased for him on Saturday. It was a bold selection, but they played with great clarity. Um, as Scott says, a considerable amounts of composure and understanding of what they were trying to do. They had done their homework indeed. I, th- I thought they were absolutely terrific. And actually, I got the, got the impression from Greg, I hope, my, my, I hope he wouldn't mind me saying, that he was happier with the, the second Van der Merwe try than he was with the first, because that was that was a, a try that needed some scoring, which is not to say that the first try didn't need some scoring, but that needed scoring in a very different way. That try under pressure at the last knockings when they're looking for the win and you've got a couple of back five forwards who are going to have to give and take passes under extreme pressure 
And it was a class finish as well by Van der Merwe. I don't think we should forget that. That was a pretty damn good try as well. Yes, he'll get the headlines for the big 50-odd metre running. Um, but I, there were a couple of Englishmen who helped him on his way through that. But there were they didn't do they didn't do anything wrong under pressure to win that game. The one chance they had, and that was the chance they were going to have. And I thought it was I thought it was a terrific um, performance all round. And before we go any further, I may say, and Scott's already mentioned uh, Twipolotu, he was absolutely outstanding. And you know how bored I am with the Manu Tuilangi. Um, obsession in England and it was at full throttle again last week when he was left out. Tuipolotu did things as a 12 that Tuilangi never does. He passed beautifully. He created a try with a kick. That's not in Manu's skill set. Manu doesn't do that stuff. But he also can track it up and get you over the line. Yes, he was put on his rear end by Freddie Stewart early in the game, but I thought he was absolutely terrific. And when you've got a 10 like Finn Russell and a 12 with that range, which means that Russell doesn't have to do 27 things all on his own every minute of the game, I think you're on to a bit of a winning combination. That's really interesting. That's really interesting and obviously raises the sort of the, the Manu Smith-Farrell debate. Um before we do that, I just want to mention, Chris, you mentioned that was one uh, Scotland's one chance and they took it. Now, I think I'm right in saying Scotland were in England's 22 for a total of 1 minute 44 seconds in the game. <laughs> and England were in Scotland's 22 for a total of 4 minutes 44 seconds in the game. I think, Nick, what does that say about you know the misfiring England attack versus... Scotland, who, you know, they have born finishers out wide. We saw that with Doohan and they, they've obviously got the right, they're playing the right notes in the middle. Before I I start, I'd like to uh, congratulate all the fair weather Englishmen for jumping ship. <laughs> <laughs> and um, listen, Scotland deserved their win. They, um, they played with great counter-attacking belief and uh, tremendous uh, quality, particularly of passing. I mean, the final try, the passes by Freight World. I mean, Russell, we know, can pass um, to save everybody's life, but the passes from Fraser Brown and in particular Richie Gray, where he, you know, he took and gave a pass in, in sort of half a, half a giraffe stride was, uh, was, was, you know, fantastic quality. And uh, they richly deserved. Uh, to beat England and the writing's been uh, on the wall for what, you know, the best part of six years now, they're England's bogey team, bar none. What do England have to do? Well, look, um, I don't, you know, I mean, the two laggy debate goes on. Um, I don't know whether he'll be brought back. Uh, he'll probably be champing at the bit. Um, I don't believe he's as limited got as limited a passing game as uh, as Chris Hewitt does. Um, but he is a route one man. And, uh, you know, Pilotu showed some really deft touches, but he's also a route one man and a much smaller one, actually, but played really, really well. And he played well, um, you know, obviously due credit to him, but he played well also because of the simplicity um, uh, and clarity in Scotland's game. And, England are playing with two fly halves at 10 and 12, and it's not working. And it's time that they recognise that it it's not working. I think it's 
I don't know whether it's the sixth time that they've played together or the eighth time, but it's not getting there. They're treading on each other's toes. Farrell is not an international class inside centre. He is a um, an international class, very good in international class, fly half. You know, on uh, in Rome on uh, yesterday, uh, France were up against it. They took it and Tamak off. He wasn't playing. He didn't. He he was average by his standards, and they brought Jalibert on, and Jalibert immediately brought. The clarity that sometimes comes with that sort of competition for places in a side and also the quality of the player. So it's time for England to stop muddling things when they don't need to. What at the moment Borthwick needs to do is to get the building blocks in place and get simplicity and clarity before they try to start stitching on very, um, you know, a complex uh, midfield experiment. Could I just ask, Nick, um, um, on the fair weather Englishman um, comment, um, was it you or Dr. was it you or Dr. Johnson who said patriotism was the last refuge of the scoundrel? Yeah, well, you're a Scottish <laughs> patriot by the sounds of things, you scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, did you know that you guys had only spent a minute forty-four in the opposition twenty-two? I knew it had been limited. Um, you know, Scotland's possession was right down as well. And I think, you know, as I said, it, it, it doesn't matter. There was a confidence in the way Scotland went about their game plan and their structure. And, and you know, I think the one stat I mentioned right at the end of my commentary was I think Scotland made 248 tackles. Now, you know that a team are under the cosh when that tackle count is up in the second hundred, but to get to 248 tackles, that is something else. That goes to show just what pressure was. England's inability to control the ball. I, I've just watched the first half. I'm, I've still to go through the second half, but the first half, they coughed up three or four balls. But when England put Scotland under pressure, they came away with tries. They created the space because they'd sucked in so many Scottish defenders that, that um, you know, they created the tries out wide for Mullins. And it, it was it was effective, good, solid rugby, face play rugby, pullback passes, you know, again, she was involved with a lot of these, you know, what I'm calling the pivot pass that we mentioned earlier on about Richie Green, pulling that pass back. That's a skill set now that's come into the game. We're seeing prop forwards deliver the pivot pass, which which is a pass that goes three or four yards backwards, which draws defences up and creates spaces on the wide outside channels. And those skill sets are really important and the interplay between backs and forwards, because that's what you're trying to create in the game of rugby now. We're trying to create these mismatches which is leading to the tries. World Rugby have stated they want to speed up the game, the referee speed up the game. And that's why we got a better game of Calcutta Cup rugby, you know, yesterday. So let's not underestimate, you know, England England were good at times, but with Scotland's limited possession, I think you then break that down and go, right, where are the game breakers in that side? Well, you had them all across the paddock, didn't you? And whilst we we, we lauded uh, Van der Merwe's first try, the second try was brilliant, but one name is never mentioned in that second try. And um, it was uh, a certain fullback called Blair Kinghorn who came off the bench. He was magnificent because he brought the pace to that movement. He got on the outside flanks, which then allowed Scotland to exploit it with the wide passes, both down the left flank, then the right flank. 
um, which ended up with these lovely little pop passes in the centre as well, uh, which led to uh, Van der Merwe's try. So for, for me, just, just throwing this in as well, I didn't think Stuart Hogg had a great game, and I think a change in Scotland's back division might come with Blair Kinghorn is, for me, the heir apparent at number 15, but he's getting slotted all over the place with Edinburgh. Anyway, that's a side story we can maybe come back onto. But it was just, um, yes, Scotland didn't have many chances. And, and for, for many years, Scotland um, absorbed pressure, have fallen out of games and then play catch-up rugby. But here was a team full of confidence. Um, they got their attack structure right. And I think sport and momentum is absolutely crucial. And Scotland certainly had momentum. They had nothing to fear over the last few years. As Nick said, they become a bit of a bogey team um, for England. And so it proved on, on, at Twickenham on Saturday. You, you By the way, just a few one as well. I was at the game two years ago. In, you know, when they, I think there was only 45 people allowed into the stadium. And uh, my brother and myself were going around a few of the hospitality uh, you know, uh, lunches, just saying that, uh, that it was about time the Scotland supporters were allowed to enjoy. So when, when Scotland win today, and they did, uh, we were asking all the Scots more because they didn't get a chance to celebrate two years before that. So it was a double celebration for Scotland having you know, won the last two visits to Twickenham. And it's a damn difficult place to go and win your rugby down there. Something I never did. I got, I got a draw once upon a time, but never got to win. Well, it wasn't a very different match two years ago, though, Scott, because that day the Scottish pack absolutely beat England up. It was a totally yeah. different nature of victory. Yeah. Um, but we've got the same dilemma now. They went back the next uh, next ma- round, round two, and they lost a match against Wales. They should have won easily. And this absolutely. is what we're coming on to now. Yeah, and I think I think I think Scotland realised that, and it's fur its feet firmly on the ground. And surely, but surely, you know that they've got an opportunity. They've got an opportunity now. They have to be laser focused to deliver that because that Murrayfield crowd now expects, and they'll respond if Scotland play like that on on, on Saturday against Wales. Murrayfield will be electric. And, and, and as well, you know, that atmosphere counts for a lot. But, you know, Wales will have a bounce back at some point, and, uh, but hopefully it's not on Saturday. <laughs> you, you could tell, Scott, b- before the game, couldn't you? I, I, I mean, watching it on the TV, the glint in Finn Russell's eye, he was all, he was all smiles in that, in that warm-up, in those closing minutes before the match. And old Brian Ashton always used to say, I like to watch my 10 and see his body language before the game, because you can tell a lot from that. It doesn't mean to say that all number 10s are jugglers and and tricksters and magicians like Finn, but he just seemed to have the right body language about him. For all he's been through up and downs with Gregor and all the rest of it, he just seemed to have the glint in the eye on Saturday before kickoff, where you thought, this bloke's pretty confident in what's about to come. Yeah, and, and, and that comes from maturity, Chris. You know, you know, there's been games where you know Russell's got in that that kind of arrogant, laser fair attitude, hasn't it? But over the years, he has crafted his game and understands that he can he can have an influence. And I think players you know, run off him. I think is uh, it's glad I'm glad to hear that he's resolved his uh, issues with Gregor Townsend. And Gregor Townsend, remember, was a similar sort of player. He was uh, he would throw the most ridiculous interception tries, do the most unbelievable thing. There was a great one in '95, the two deep flip, which led to my brother scoring a try at Park uh, Park de France to win there from you know after many many years. So Gregor would do the extraordinary. As Nick mentioned, that it was also pivotable in the '97. Uh, British Lions tour to South Africa. 
And but what what good players have is they have good players around them. And this time, Russell had good players and two Pilotto around him. Jones on his outside. It took a little bit of the pressure, and the accuracy that Scotland had actually helped Russell deliver a game. Yeah. With and white, oh, and sorry, white inside him, and White's yeah. becoming, you know, yeah. White's looking increasingly like like a uh, a quality scrum half. Yeah, we met we mentioned him last week actually. Just going back to that glint in Finn Russell's eyes, it sort of reminded me of we speak about that England semi final against New Zealand back in 2019. That glint in Farrell's eyes um, as he was looking across at the hacker. Does anyone remember that? Where you could yeah, just sort yeah, of yeah. tell that something was brewing, and Manu Tuolangi had something similar before he dismantled the All Blacks in 2012 as well. So I think that is always a good sign when a team takes the field in the confidence they have in those sorts of systems. On the flip side, I want to say something that bothered me slightly about England after the game. And I'm going to hope that one of you backs me up on this, but also, you know, absolutely fine if you don't. But obviously the England players, they were smiling and waving after the game, joking around, you know, and I know we say that they've played well, but you've also just lost your third Calcutta game in a row at the the Fortress. And obviously Scotland beating England, England at Twickenham. It's now, you know, not not a regular thing, but very much it's not, you know, it's not the folklore that it once was. Nick, could you have seen that in, I don't know, look at the Johnson era or any England team that really should be holding itself to that high standard? You know, if you've just um, lost a game of that magnitude, walk around laughing and joking. Yeah, look, I didn't, I have to say that I didn't notice um, that going on. But if it was going on, um, then it surprises me. Uh, because I think that at that level, you know, you're playing at the highest level. I think that any defeat, um, I'm not saying, you know, you should walk around in sackcloth and ashes for the whole time, but you should want to know what what you've got to do to put it right. And you should be pretty sober about, um, you know, about, uh, you know, what has happened. Um, there was a game that was there, you know, even, even given England's... Um, Sort of awkwardness in 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 certain areas. I still don't think that their scrum is up to quality. You've got two very good ball playing props, but they didn't make any any real impact on the uh, on the Scottish scrum until uh, Cole came on and 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 managed to get a little bit of uh, weight on. Um, yeah, I look. I mean, I, I don't think that it's the right look personally, but. Um, you know, it's what it it's what floats your boat. I mean, Finn Russell's been accused of that sort of attitude, um, you know, after games as well. And uh, and some players, you know, some players motivate themselves in different ways. But yeah, look, I I, I sort of um, get a sense there was something during the week where a Southern Hemisphere prop describes scrummaging against England is anonymous incidentally describes scrummaging against England as like scrummaging against soft pillows so you know they do have to um look at themselves and they do have to look at the standards that they set themselves I, one thing that struck me as well was and I noticed that Gregor talked uh Gregor Townsend talks about it afterwards where he said um, in one of the uh, post-match interview clips, that he thought that Scotland um, had more energy uh, in the close, you know, in the in the final quarter. In fact, for most of the se- the second half, I think, um, and they look very fit 
I noticed that they look like a very fit side. They look fitter than they have done previously. And England looked to me to be, I'm not say, su suggesting that they're a bunch of unfit wasters by any stretch of the imagination. They're international rugby players and they are fit, but I don't think that they've got the same level of fitness as some of the other teams out there at the moment. A lot of that's to do with emotional charge, isn't it? A lot, a lot of that is to do. I mean, it's not stuff. You, I don't think that's stuff you can measure. Um, but going back to that initial point of, of, of the aftermatch, I mean, there's a precedent for that, quite a famous one, when Martin Johnson was playing. Um, and that was um, that was in 97 when England lost to the All Blacks at Old Trafford and did a lap of honour. Yeah. Um, yeah, because every, I mean, on the basis, I think that everyone thought they were going to get completely minced and it wasn't mm -hmm. quite as bad as everyone thought. I think Martin that, might even have been capped. I don't wasn't know. Wasn't that they wanted to fly the flag up north at Old Trafford? And, and well, it, 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 may, it may well have been Brent, To the north. But, yeah, but it was a bit odd. It was a bit odd um, at the time, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I think that was more gratuitous than this one, probably. Um, it, it also seems to me to be a bit anti-Borthwick, who's not one of life's natural comedians at the best of times, is he? Um, and and you know uh, the whole the whole bath the whole bath experience going back in the day when Scott would have played against them you know back end of the amateur era and all that kind of business I mean they wouldn't have been laughing I mean they didn't lose that many but they wouldn't have been laughing and Borthwick came in sort of on the end of that generation he, he, he yeah. was a teenager at Bath and that would have been instilled in him I mean he would have taken that defeat I know he's He's trying to do the public facing bit, which doesn't come naturally to him, and he's making a pretty good fist of it. But that would have hurt him on Saturday. He would have been really beating himself up about that. Make no mistake. He, you know, he'll defend his players to the nth degree, but he will be he will be hurting and he won't have been smiling at anyone. If he was, it was wind. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm old school in this debate. I'm a great believer, is that you know, there's time out with the pitch that you catch up with family, friends, and congratulate them. You, you, you head down the, you shake hands, you head down the tunnel, you get into that dressing room, you sort it, you sort it out. You close your doors, you sort it out. You have a few words, you have that period of reflection, and then you can go and see your loved ones afterwards. And all these selfies that are taken, it, it's part of the modern game. These guys are professional. Yeah. I, I had one year playing professional rugby, um, you know, and 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 for me. It was always about your standards, your attitudes, your values. Uh, you know, and, and I, I'm I'm watching Hog running around trucking him with his socks around his ankles. I'd have I'd have I'd, I'd have him hung, strung and quartered. You know, pull your bloody socks up, mate, because that's the way you're playing at the moment. You're playing as though your socks are halfway down your ankle. You're not good enough at the moment. Um, you know, you're a very high profile player, but you deserve it. You 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 deserve it when you're playing well. If you're not playing well, well, smarten yourself up, tidy yourself up. Again. But that's old school. So sometimes I think, golly, we need to let go a wee bit and understand it's part and parcel of the modern game. Funny enough, I remember after an England-New Zealand game, Dan Carter and Johnny Wilkinson were up in a corporate hospitality box with MasterCard within 10 minutes of the final whistle. Now, they were obviously getting paid a fortune. The clamour for those corporate hospitality fans to see them was extraordinary. They were still in their match kit. I would ban all of that. I really would. I'd ban all of that. Um, you know, you're not allowed out with the dressing room until an hour after the end of the game because that's what I was brought into used to. And those were kind of the traditions you kind of had. You just didn't leave the changing room for anything. Um, and, and, and it's the modern game. That's where it is. I think we'll just leave it at that.
So, Scott, could I ask you on that on that Mastercard um, occasion, Wilkinson and Carter, which was the Morecambe and which was the Wise? <laughs> it wasn't so much about that. It was all about how much they were getting paid. I think that was the big chat. <laughs> oh, they'll be a fortune. Unlimited Mastercard points as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very fair point, um, Scott. And that that's why I asked, because I know it is it's a massive part of the game. You know, people are paying for their Twickenham ticket and it, you know, in terms of inspiring the next gen, it might, you know, get someone to pick up a rugby ball for the first time if they meet Owen Farrell. So I do see the balance and you know, I don't want to make a storm in a teacup at all. Um just just wanted to know what you guys thought. Now, I'm conscious of time. Let's give Wales a mention. Um well, let's give Wales Ireland a mention. <laughs> Scott, I'll come to you. Unfortunately, people won't see what face you were just pulling. <laughs> did you what? Did you manage I, to watch Wales Ireland? Do you know I, I, I haven't? I've seen some of the clips and the highlights. From what I can gather, um, for me, the, the most the most amazing thing was when Farrell said at the start, the coach, "What an amazing week we've had." That's the best preparation that we've had. And I went, whoa, that's some statement from the number one team and the number one coach of that number one team in the world. And blow me, they went out and absolutely, you know, blew Wales away from what I can understand in that first half. And with Wales being put, you know, put to the sword, it was catch-up time for uh, for Wales. But by half time that game was over, wasn't it? Yeah, it was well and truly gone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, I'm really glad I, I I'm really glad I tip Wales the win. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks ever so. Um, um, <laughs> I don't know. They were terrible. I mean, their first twenty minutes were terrible. I mean, the soft penalties they gave, penalty after penalty after penalty for no particular reason. I mean, Ireland were very precise. We've come to expect that from them, haven't we? I mean, I mean, we talk about the Scots understanding their game. No one in world rugby understands their game at the moment better than Ireland, probably. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing under, you know, wherever they are in the pitch, pretty much under all circumstances. But heaven forfend. But they, they, they didn't have to do very much actually to open up a, a match winning, a match winning lead early. And you know Wales, Wales as well as committing the sins that they committed, you know, without the ball, um, they butchered their chances as well. And you know, and there was a fourteen pointer in it. We may have with an interception that um, that the Wales would have run in had, had the pass been anything like accurate. So when Gatland said afterwards, I wasn't that disappointed with the way we played. I think he was referring to the final hour of the game. Uh, but he would have been absolutely <laughs> roaring at the, the first twenty minutes, I would think, and, and quite rightly so. It was a shocker. Well, it's a, it's a it's a twenty minutes that could kill an entire tournament for the team because obviously, especially in the context that Wales are in, you have this Gatland is back dynamic. You know, hosting Ireland at um, in Cardiff, stadium's going to be absolutely roaring now that Gats is back, the old guards back, potentially you know recalling the Wales greats, and then the first twenty minutes. Kills all of that momentum completely. Oh. <laughs> Total passion killer. The most impressive thing there, guys, is I mean, I started to get a few alarm bells on. I think it was Thursday, was it? Tad Burn, um, Furlong withdrew. Then on the morning, um, Jamison Gibson Park cries off. And I'm thinking, well, they're two of the three most important players for Ireland in my book. You know, this could be a bit closer than I thought. I mean, we did all tip an island win, apart from Chris. Um, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> 
I thought they were absolutely, they, they, they didn't bat an eyelid. And in fact, Farrell, when he came in for the pre-match interview, it's the only time I've ever heard a coach say that, oh, this is a great, uh, this is a great opportunity for us and mean it. Normally, when they've had two star players cry off and before the match, you know, they're putting on a front. But he actually meant it. And they went out there and, and just absolutely bossed it in the first 20 minutes. I thought, this is a seriously together squad that can just, didn't, no hiccups, just, just moved mm. on, did the business, let's concentrate on France. So it was a deeply impressive performance from Ireland. Um, and you know, Conor Murray, of course he's got 100 caps, but I thought the, no, the game plan would change. It did a little bit, but he played one of his best games for a couple of years, Conor Murray. He just stepped up. This is a great team I'm playing in. I will do what I do, and I do it to the best of my ability. And he just hummed. I tell you what, Brent, um, I'm struggling to think um, whether Andrew Porter or Matt Ferguson are the most improved forwards in Europe over the last oh. couple of seasons. Porter um, about, um, I mean, but, but Porter is something, isn't he? Oh. I, I mean, that, that, that's been... Farrell's great call in in as well. There's a call at number nine, of course, but uh, it's a hell of a call to take a second string tight head, which is what he was, and say this bloke is important to us, and I need him in the side, and I'm going to stick him on the other side of the front row, and I'm going to let him cut his teeth there, and he's, I mean, he's, you know, he'd be in any conversation at the moment as the world's best loose head. He'd be in the conversation for sure. Yeah. And, that's and around the pitch, he's terrific. as good around the pitch as he is scrummaging. He's a fantastic oh, player. Terrific, yeah. yeah. Nick, I know you're one of the first to sing Andrew Porter's praises. Yes, yeah. Listen, I mean, I think he's always been, there's always been that switch-hitting element about him that he could, um, he, he, he's played both both sides of the scrum, I think, um, as a developmental phase. But yeah, I mean, he's a... He's a force of nature, and um, if he gets a sniff anywhere near the line, um, he's uh, he's as good as it gets when it comes to over the line. Um, they just had too much for Wales in 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 every um, in every way in every department. Um, I'm intrigued by what comes next. Obviously, I don't know when we'll talk about that. I mean, they had Wales on the rack because Wales were playing catch up. And um, and it was too it was always too big a gap, so they never really had the belief that they could um, you know that they could get into the game, and I see that the talk there is now that um, you know Gatland has to move the old guard out and bring in um, new blood all over the team, and that's going to make them initially uh, they might get a bounce back from it, but it 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 also has the potential to make you pretty vulnerable as well. And well, I think that that if they do that going up to Murrayfield, <laughs> it could be in trouble. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, but I, I, I do think that rather has happened last season, you know, everything is, you know, the Irish have got a real headwind behind them in every regard, but the, the only time they have problems is when they come up against very big physical teams that match them and fracture their organisation to a degree. And the one team in this championship um, that can do that physically is France. And that's who they play next. And they need to find their own headwind after what happened in Rome. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in a second. And what a game um, that is going to be in Dublin. Um, Scott, I'm interested to get your thoughts on the Welsh midfield debate because 12 seems like a bit of a problem position. Um, George North seems like he's finding his feet at 30. And I wondered 
how you felt about the Nick Tompkins, the Joe Hawkins, or, you know, I I actually wondered whether George North was worth a go at 12, given the arc that Jamie Roberts went on. Yeah, so, so I, um, I, I commentated with Prime Video um, on the Welsh performances against Argentina and against Georgia. And uh, th- that uh, commentary against Georgia was uh, was amazing. All the Welshies thought I was a brilliant uh, pronouncer of the, the Georgian names, but got all the Welsh names wrong. But anyway, that's a, that's another story. <laughs> you know, it was a moment in history. And Wales have struggled. And I think under PVAT, they weren't able to bring in the youngsters and give them time. But for me, to- the, the Tompkins-North 12-13 combo was actually, was actually working. But of course, they then played their final test match, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, against Australia, where they played out with the test window. So Tompkins wasn't allowed to play. Now, um, I'd, I'd have probably Tompkins in there, you know, and, and it, it's a difficult one. Uh, was Chichinza injured, by the way, um, in the build up to the game? I don't think he was ever picked. Yeah, so he 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 was really impressive in the autumn season. I was very surprised that he wasn't involved. And um, I, I'm sorry, I've not really looked at the full background. I just thought Gatlin, he's gone old guard. He's he's brought back his and relied on that, and they didn't perform. It's as simple as that. And and so he's got some real work. What does he do? Does he just throw them all out and bring in a fresh new team and go right? This is all about the the World Cup and, and the future. But it's getting that balance right, and 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 rugby, and especially, isn't it amazing? The Six Nations it comes around every year. There's always this debate: Is Scotland going to be in it? No, 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 they're out. How about Italy? Well, Italy proven yesterday against France, and it's such a magic conversation. Here we are talking about different teams, different combinations, what's happening, and it happens every single year, and it's brilliant because the game is doing the talking, not the not the challenges within the game and beyond the game you know, in the backstory, but we're talking about what actually happened at the weekend and what's going to happen this weekend. And that's exciting for rugby fans. Sport is about debate. That's what we're on this podcast about. And it's fascinating. It was yeah. interesting from Gatlin's point of view, I think, that we're, 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 he's, he's betwixt and between with selection, isn't he? I mean, there will be some good young players in Wales that are kicking the door down. There's one or two of them in the side, but the World Cup's close. I mean, if you're going to make, if you're going to perform radical surgery on the side, you're almost saying that the World Cup is going to be what it is. Um, so he's gone for some real experience, and it's the very experienced players that you assume are going to give you most of what you expect. The two blokes who had a day off on Saturday, principally, were Tipperick and Falatak. Yeah. Who were who were really disappointing, and they're outstanding players. Yeah, yeah magnificent yeah. players, and they, they 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 didn't have the best of times there. So that so so what Warren's banker picks didn't work for him. It was it was a couple of the kids who sort of fronted up and had a bit of a had a bit of a go. You know, Jack Morgan got a little bit of wind in his sails part way through the game, and there we we saw a little bit from one or two others. Um, you know, Rio Dyer did a bit. I thought Liam Williams actually had a really brave, courageous, very effective game in in large part. But if you're going to take your two two of your three most experienced forwards um, uh, in crucial back row positions and them not to feature and not to work their way through what was happening was a bit of a disappointment for him, I would imagine. And then do you drop Falatel after his one the one poor match of his career? You know, well. That's I've never seen another you, match you, remotely you, like you that. You don't. He's an absolute banker, eight out of ten, and better, well, isn't he? But this I've is never easy. seen another match like that. 
He's a fabulous player for them. I mean, he took plenty of afternoons off down at Bath, I may tell you. But it was, um, but in a, in a Welsh shirt, in a, in a in, test shirt, you just mm, doesn't absolutely. happen, does it? Absolutely terrific. Even when you don't expect him to be terrific because he's been injured for six months, he comes back and plays a house down. What yep. he didn't do was play the house down on Saturday. No, and, and with Tipperick having a rough one as well, that left him in a bit of a pickle. I would be shocked if Falatel didn't start against Scotland. I think Tipperick would be the more likely to drop out. But I think you're right. That's the incompatibility as well, is if you look at, you know, we've spoken about the personnel issues Wales have. And I think the one gen- generation of hope or the one unit where there is a generation of hope is the back row at the moment. You've got Jack Morgan, you've got Tommy Raphael, you know, Shunza, who we just mentioned, he makes a pretty good seven as well. How much longer do you stick with a guy like Justin Tipperick? I don't know. Well, I would uh, suggest at least one more match. I think they'll mainly yeah. get a green light and go again at Scotland, prove yourselves again. But if it goes badly wrong, then I think there might be some serious changes reshuffle yeah it'll be very interesting to compare the Wales starting team that we just saw to the fifth game Wales starting team because they could could be wildly wildly different um okay would we like to hear about the predictions league (laughs) if you must (laughs) (laughs) so Scott I should say that you're playing on a team with basically every special guest we have so you had Gus Scott last week and he got you off to a very good start actually he deserves a, a shout out because his Ireland-Wales prediction was the closest we've ever had. Um, he predicted 36-10, and it was obviously 34-10. So yeah. it's a damn good effort. Um, yeah. So special guest is in the lead with 15 points. Myself and Brendan are second, one point behind on 14. Nick's on third, uh, in in third slash fourth uh, on 13. And Chris, I think you deserve your own shout out because you get your own turkey. Uh, first turkey ever by a columnist. Uh, and by that I mean you didn't get the result right and the scores were so far away that you didn't get any point <laughs> as well. Sarah, is there much more of this? Um, I, 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 would like to, I would like to remind you that in the autumn Gallagher had Wales beating the All Blacks and Hewitt had Georgia beating Wales. It's a fair comment. Yeah, that, that, that is fair. And, and apparently those don't count towards this ridiculous competition. <laughs> well, they don't count to the Six Nations one. It is a fair comment and a needed one because... <laughs> we haven't <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not sure your credibility is on much stable ground with that prediction but interestingly so we've had one turkey before we had one last year and it was a special guest would anyone like to know who who produced such a prediction it was for the wales italy game it was a certain gavin hastings so well done chris for carrying on the mantle um now let's talk about France versus. Just call Italy. me Bernard Matthews. Yeah, I will do. I'll change. I'll change the Zoom nickname for everyone to see. Um, let's talk about France Italy in the context of France Ireland as well. Now I've said a couple of times on this podcast, well, certainly in reflection on the autumn, that I think there are a couple of chinks in this French armory, and I think they can potentially lose their heads. Um, Scott, would you say that the French are going into Dublin undoubted second favourites? On 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 Saturday or last weekend's result, of course, absolutely. Um, I've got Ireland down to win by twenty three seventeen, so it's a close one. Um, that's my prediction. But you know, Ireland undoubtedly at home are difficult not to crack, and I just sense that France weren't at their best, uh, certainly. And, and we know about Italy's improvement, and you know, 
when when players are off form and they, they 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 bring that form into an international team, I think you do get exposed. Exposed. And we talked about Antomac there, and he undoubtedly hasn't been playing well. So for that, you know, that affects the rest of the team. That affects his decision making. It affects his kicking, his game planning, everything like that. If he doesn't execute, and of course, you know, he got the shepherd's crook, and Jamini came on. Jamini for me is one of the most exciting players around. I'd have him in my starting line up every time. So, but but just the whole the whole attitude of the French seemed to be just off colour, um, and I'm sure they'll get an absolute grilling from Fabian Galti, and, and they will bounce back. Hence the reason I'm expecting a far closer game in, in Dublin. And, uh, you know, I, I expect them to, to improve, but I also expect Ireland just to be solid. They might be one more score better than my prediction, but ultimately I think it's going to be a home win. Nick, I'm going to come to you. You are the only one out of the five of us who's predicted a France win. Do you stand by that off the base of the yeah, weekend? Yeah, i got to back myself all the way on this. <laughs> <laughs> I um I do think that um I think that the French have got the ability. The last time I think I'm right in saying the last time they went to to Dublin they won. It was a very close game, and I think that they won. So um, I also think that in in Paris last year they were deserved winners, and so they know that they're you know they don't go in with any sense of um trepidation i don't think regarding I, I think that they'll you know they'll have nerves all right but i don't think there'll be trepidation they know that they can beat ireland and uh i think that uh the you know whether intermac uh gets picked to start again jalibert is you know he does bring something extra and what was interesting was that in rome they were really rattled they conceded 18 penalties so they got on the wrong side of the uh, of the referee Matt Carley and they paid the price for it but when the game was in the balance and they you know Galtier made his um his, his replacements and brought Jalibert on they actually steadied and they you know so they didn't panic they didn't um you know they didn't do what France you know can do in those circumstances certainly historically and um, sink themselves so uh, i think that they'll learn from it i think listening to sean edwards afterwards i'm sure that uh, today will have been a pretty uncomfortable review in every respect and uh, i i think that they'll um, i th i think that they've obviously got the capability to trouble ireland uh, but they have to sort of fracture the that organization and clarity that Ireland play with. Last time, I'm, I mean, one, it's weird to say, you know, when when you talk about missing a winger um, at the breakdown, but Gabin Villiers yeah, last yeah. season was absolutely brilliant on the counter ruck. They showed a little bit of it against Italy, but the Italian forwards were played with such intensity and such togetherness that they really shook France. And, um, I think that it, you know, I mean, it, in many ways, you 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 would say it's probably the ideal preparation for Dublin. Do we know what the time frame is with Villiers' injury? He he pulled, uh, he, he pulled he up in training, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think this is the injury that kept him out for God knows how long. I think he pulled up in training with something relatively minor because he was 
he was all set to play, I think. So so he he, he might so, be back. Yeah, hopefully that's um, impending. I mean, I thought Dumortier, um, the, his replacement, went quite well, and he obviously um, bagged, yeah. bagged a bit of meat. Um, but yeah, I remember this was obviously our second ever episode this time last year, and we were having this discussion about Ireland, France, and previewed you know i think brendan you sold it to, that it was going to be an absolute cracker and well you were right it ended up being in the discussion for one of the for game of the year in our review back end of 2022 brendan do you think you can sell this one to the same level oh absolutely um i'm just quickly going back on italy though before we just go on that yeah that sorry. stat of 18 is very interesting i saw another stat this morning only twice before france conceded 18 or more penalties in a six nations match both occasions have been against Italy. They did 18 in the 2013 defeat against Italians and 20 in 2002. And there is something about the, the Italian psyche that they, they don't, they're not bothered by the French at all, even when they're getting beaten in past years, you know, heavily. They just they just don't give a damn about the French. It must be that Latin thing. So they, they know how to get under the French skin, the Italians. Um, yes, of course, in Dublin, it will be a cracker. Um I think it will be the championship decider. I think both sides have been eyeing it up for a while, this one. Um, France, and I've said it a few times in the last three or four months, for me, have been in second, third gear. They haven't really um, sort of taken the handbrake off for quite a long while now. They've got a big, big year, World Cup year. You can only go to the world so often. But I think they will take the handbrake off on Saturday and it will be... Fantastic. I mean, you'll, you'll see a different Dupont. Dupont has been in third gear for me. And, he, you know, he's better in third gear than most people are in overdrive. But you will see an absolutely supercharged Dupont on Saturday. Um, I, I've i never been the biggest Untamak fan. I think Jalabert brings more. But Untamak is a club partner with Dupont. He does do some pretty special things on occasions. But if I was wanting to plot a win in Dublin, I think I'd prefer Jalabert at 10. Uh, so I think it'd be terrific. I think I think I went with Ireland. I, I'm not going to retract that, but I think it will be a uh, yeah, like Scotty. It might be a sort of six, seven point win. I think. Yeah, just, just let, let me come in. I mentioned Jamini there, who's obviously not in the French squad at the moment. You were referring to Jalibert, but Jamini, for me, I think he had an injury in the build-up to that game. But I think he's a better fullback. He brings some real pace to the French attack. Mm. But uh, for, for 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 me, you know, there's there's a lot of expectation on this French team. You know, they're hosts of the Rugby World Cup. They're, you know, champions of uh, the Six Nations as well, defending champions. So, you know, their away from home will be tested. Um, but it's moments like these and on the World Cup journey that you learn to live with not only winning under tight games, but also losing as well. And, and they, you know, if they do lose on Saturday, they still got an opportunity to win the championship again. But I think this is part of their journey through the Rugby World Cup when they'll be, I think, at their absolute prime. And there's a line of thought. I mean, what are they now? 14 matches on the trot, the world record's 18. You don't actually want to be going into that World Cup still unbeaten after 19 matches because that run will end pretty quickly after that. You know, history shows us that. It wouldn't do France any harm uh, to get beaten somewhere along the line in the next couple of weeks. Well, it puts a big target on your back, doesn't it? And that target's already big enough as they're the hosts. I mean, again, you come back to the 2019 example of Eddie planning for New Zealand. That's because... New Zealand had the target on their back. So if they become the team to be, all of a sudden they kind of become beatable. Yeah. Now, with the Jamine, uh not Jamine, Jalibert defeat, uh, <laughs> the debate. That. No, 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 that's okay. Um, debate. 
Brendan, I just I know you don't rate Untermac um as much. I actually do. Um, but I'm just wondering whether with Jalabert coming off the bench, I think all his best France performances have actually been off the bench. And to me, that says that say they're down by five or a score in Dublin with 25 minutes to go. I think you'd rather bring on Jalabert as a differential, and that actually might be a sort of pseudo bomb squad type of edge. That that's a decent enough point. I mean, listen. It's not that I don't rate um, Untamak. Untamak is a terrific player. But he has 15, 20-minute phases of matches where he sort of goes off the boil a bit. And then he has then he has 15, 20 minutes yeah. of brilliance. Jalabert is a very nice, calm plotter of a match. And <laughs> actually, I think he, he did have a really good start. Remember they bought the third 15 to Twickenham in that Autumn Cup match uh, against England, the final. And they nearly won it. And I thought he, he stood up there. He was the most experienced player in the team, more or less. And he ran the show and he ran it brilliantly. So, you know, we've had Rob Andrews, Stuart Barnes debate for years. I think Untamak Jalabert will always be a debate in France, always. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'd, I'd go with Jalabert, but my God, what a choice to have. It's, it's okay. interesting. It, this whole thing's interesting. I mean, Scott will know this from the times when he, he played against, I don't know, Lucien Mias or whoever it was when it was hanging around in the French side <laughs> when, when you were playing for Scotland, Scott. Um, but you, you, you would have played against French sides often enough to know that when it comes to running a game, <coughs> their tends to their tends perform a rather different role, even in today's more a more sort of standardized stylistic form of rugby. It all comes off the nine. It has done for donkey's years, hasn't it? Your Bear Busiers and your Jacques Roux was the first number nine and you know the the, the little Petit General they called him, didn't they? And yeah, we had Les Gabura, who was a th- huge guy who used to kick the ball absolute miles. And then Didier uh, Ribeiro was great. But you know, you then go to wider. France are famed for their attack, and when they get it right, they can put the fear of God into you. But for me, you know, a game of rugby. Let's be quite frank. It starts up fun, and, and unless your forwards are dominating, it doesn't allow you to you know form that kind of wave after wave of attack that France are famed for. Um, they're also a different beast at home. Let's remember that in the Stade de France. So, you know, they're opening up with two away games. Yes, Italy made it tricky. Yes, Italy are on the comeback a wee bit. They play a better structured game of rugby under Kieran Crowley. There's a confidence within them. They were hugely disappointed not to win that game yesterday. But I just think, you know, Saturday is just... You've, you've got to look at the class of Ireland. They're the number one form team in the world at this moment in time. And I think they'll just, they'll, they'll, they'll keep that momentum going throughout this championship. You have to give some credit to Italy here. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's important to say how well, and they, they, they've got a bunch of forwards at the moment. Um, you can say Fischetti. We talked about Rutzer last week, didn't we? Who, who was terrific in a, as a sort of line-out, um, destroying figure who was getting himself around the field. The whole back row played out of their skin. Negri was remarkable. I mean, I mean absolutely remarkable. Um, and if they had a scrum half, actually, you, they could build their house on, yeah. which they don't have, I have to say. If Troncon was playing now, Italy would take a bit of beating at times, you know, some serious. Yeah, they don't have a, a real top class uh, scrum half, but they got Garbisi to come back. They've got some gas and and, and some, je ne sais, on the on the je ne sais quoi, I should say on the uh, in the <laughs> um, um, uh, you know I've never been strong with Italian carbonara carbonara yeah yeah they got carbonara and oh, yeah let's, we can all we can all have the jokes now come on lay it on me um, 
I'm, I'm not covered in bolognese sauce. Thanks ever so much. Um, uh, uh, but no, I mean, they do have a lot to work with. I wish they had a top-class nine, a really top-class nine. I don't think it's there. But they played really, really well yesterday. And that, that pack of theirs, from where they were in the game relatively early on, I thought they were tremendous. Tremendous. And they have the capacity, if England aren't on it, in the weekend, they have they have the capacity to give them some trouble up front. And that will be very interesting to see how the game unfolds in. Well, that's exactly what I was coming on to is, I think that's an Italy pack that could potentially outmatch England for physicality. Nick, do you agree? Yeah, I think uh, England have to be really on their mettle. Um, I thought that the number eight Carboni was very, very good. Lamaro doesn't give an inch and has that doesn't give a damn attitude who who he's playing against. Uh, I really like the outside centre Brex, who made who made yardage every time against the French midfield. Um, I think that they're connected. Um, you know, the 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 pack is very very well organised and it's very connected and it's physical. Um, they're not the biggest. But they they really punched above their weight against the uh, against the French. They were they were outweighed by a huge amount, and um, they didn't give much at, at the scrum. Their line out with Rutzer, who you know uh, Brendan flagged up uh, last week, he was immense. You know, I mean, he he just towered at the line out, and uh, and in the loose as well. So uh, yeah, I do. I think that England. I don't think England have a great pack at the moment, and. Um, you know, there are players who've got great reputations to make, but they haven't made them. And um, they are going to have to really, really uh, raise it against Italy. Yeah, well, obviously. So the- we're, you know, England are currently the only team that Italy haven't beaten in the Six Nations. And uh, they need they need to raise it in order to make sure that remains remains the same. I, I don't know what Borthwick is going to do with his pack this week, but you'd be... If if I was Ellis Genge, Ollie Chesson, or Lewis Ludlam, I would not expect to be dropped. Mm-hmm. But, but no, that's I, a fair, that, that's I, a fair I thought, comment. Those... I thought the rest of them were a fair way off of what they. I mean, Marrow's a bit off of what he can be for sure. Um, I'm not sure. I, you know, I know they have problems. It, 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 it's seven with injuries and what have you. But I I thought apart from the three I've mentioned, who I, who I thought. Bought the house down um, on Saturday for England. I mean, Ludlam. Every time I see the bloke play, I mean, he may he may be rather limited player in some respects. But crikey, have you ever seen anyone try harder than that bloke? I mean, crikey, fantastic yeah. for Northampton and England. I mean, he's absolutely the attitude that you want at the moment. I'm not yeah. going to put a thorn in his flesh, but if you ask him how many times he's played against Scotland, it's three, and how many times has he won? None. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's too many Englishmen with that record, but you know, he's an outstanding. Oh, God. He's, he's a great player, he really is. I, I watched him uh, play for Northampton Saints. He's a real leader there, isn't he? But again, gentlemen, it, the, the the game is about blends, and and England haven't got their blend right this moment in time, and. Maybe it's too early to criticise Steve Borthwick. He's only had a short time, but the one thing, uh, Ollie, we've not discussed is that 10-12 link between Farrell. There's got to be a decision made there. And uh, if Borthwick wants to win a game on Saturday, he has to pick Farrell at 10 and to orchestrate, or he moves Farrell out of his squad and allows Ollie Smith to play a game 
and, and let him play right the way through the World Cup. Scott, be- yeah. Scott, very quickly, let me ask you this about just about Jamie Ritchie, who who I who I just think is terrific. I mean, absolutely terrific. That that nineteen ninety grudge match um, with the great back row that Scotland had at that time, Jamie Ritchie would have fitted into that quite nicely, wouldn't he? Yeah, you're absolutely right. No, he he did really, really well. And uh, he's, he's just such a great leader. And all the shenanigans that happened, you know, last season with Hogg's lack of leadership, I think, and, and, and the, you know, the, the six that went out on the town after the Italy game, you know, Scotland shot themselves in the foot. And Richie, he's he's been a young captain of Scotland under 21, uh, under 20 level and under 21, sorry, under 21 level. Uh, great leader, just a hundred percent, and I must say, I think uh, full of admiration for him. So you'd bring in Finn Smith, the two Smiths, Marcus starting Finn off the bench. I, I didn't say that. I said I think there's a really decision, a really big decision to be made by Borthwick. Either he either decides right now that Farrell's is ten, or he he throws him out the squad and allows Smith to dominate because at the moment there's been too many opportunities. And confusion, I think, within England with the, with the 10-12 and the two Alangi link as well. I know there's injuries there with, with Slade. Slade's a ball player for me, but Marchant, we didn't, we hardly saw him in the game, uh, you know, and, and yet he's an attacking, brilliant centre. Uh, you know, he should have been doing what Jones was doing, basically. Uh, but so it's, listen, I, I'm no coach and that's why I don't do any coaching. That's why I work within the media. Um, it's a tough job, and just ask Gregor Townsend. He's been on the uh, the receiving end of a you know a lot of criticism, and it, it's it can be fickle this business, of course. And uh, you know, but we don't have all the answers, and I, I'm afraid I I actually don't have the answer for that one. It's an yeah. excruciating call, Scotty, because on Saturday's evidence, um, Mark Smith had a pretty good match. I thought behind Malians, he was probably England's second best back. Um, Farrell didn't have a great game at twelve, but He's not a 12. He tackled well, uh, and his technique is, as I thought that, you know, fair play, but there's nothing coming through attacking-wise. So to drop Smith now would be quite a difficult call, especially as there is a chance in a in a, in a fast and loose game against Italy, he might have an absolutely outstanding match. Mind you, Farrell might have an outstanding match at 10 as well against Italy. So, you know, devil in the deep blue sea here, isn't it? I mean, how do you... But they box themselves in a little bit, England. They've never grown yeah. 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 They've boxed themselves in because they've, you know, I mean, Farrell is 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 the captain, and yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. that's how they box themselves in. Uh, I I I think that that was a change that, uh, and I advocated it before the start of the Six Nations that Borthwick needed to make, um, because Farrell's captaincy hasn't, you know, hasn't been a shining light, obviously, uh, over the last year. And um, and perhaps more. So, um, yeah, it's a it, it is as Scott's absolutely right. This is the call that um, you know that head coaches get paid to make, and uh, it's time probably to do so. In fact, not probably. It is time to do so. You'd want to be paid a lot of money to make that call. I mean, who wants Owen Farrell and his dad rang your race? <laughs> It was interesting when we were talking about the Jalibert and Intermac debate as well, because I was thinking, how many injuries would there have to be for them to deploy Jalibert at 10 and Intermac at 12? You just, you wouldn't see it happen. And there was an article on the BBC today that said that, you know, or I, no, I can't remember where I saw it actually. Um, Arsenal and Farrell A couple of autumns ago and it didn't work. Well, exactly. And, yeah. you know, will they ever come back to it? 
I think it's incredibly, incredibly unlikely. Um, yeah. But yeah, I saw somewhere and I can't remember where. So apologies for that. But Smith and Farrell are England's Gerard and Lampard. You know, great players yeah. in their own right operate better not together. And I don't know, maybe that's the case. I felt a bit bad for Joe Marchant because he's obviously used to playing in a back line that has a big truck at up 12. And that, you know, very much facil- facilitates the way he operates. And I think that's that's the way England have got to do, uh, got to proceed. The issue with putting Farrell on the bench, if you ever did, is I think he'd only ever come on at 12. I don't think you'd see him come on at 10. I don't think that there's a, a country that, uh, at the, certainly at the moment, complicates selection more than England. I think England make big selection errors with regularity. So, who plays 12 then? <laughs> How many times have I asked that question on this podcast? The point, is, the point here, the basic point, the fundamental point, I suppose, for... for, for the last coach and the current one is there are there is a there's a whole chunks of Owen Farrell's game and attitude, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, his goal kicking, his defensive abilities, his his aggression that most coaches would want. Nobody they don't particularly want to lose that stuff. Um but what what so how do you how do you get around that conundrum? I don't I don't know. Do do, do his attributes outweigh his disadvantages. Well, look, I mean, in the first instance, you get round the conundrum by picking him at 10, because that's the position where he plays and where he's been playing well this season. So if you're convinced that he is the, you know, the form 10, you know, Smith has been out for a while. He did play well, uh, uh, certainly in in stretches against Scotland. But uh, if your conviction is, is that he's your captain and he's also your 10, then that's what you do. You pick him you, at 10. You, did you think it was the same story when the 10-12 the axis was Ford and Farrell? Yes, I you did. did. Yeah, I did. But these guys got an all-World Cup final. Yeah, they did. but And they lost it pretty uh, pretty. And, and they lost it. Yeah, but you can't... You can't you, you, I mean, I can't remember George Ford playing tight end that day. Yeah, <laughs> well, look, I mean... <laughs> The the reality Although is Although Dan Cole is, was the same height at the end of the game. <laughs> the reality is is that England, you know, England had a uh, a good run. They got to a World Cup final, playing a fantastic game against New Zealand in a World Cup in which they played one less game than any any other uh, finalist reaching a final played. So they had about a two-week build-up to the game against New Zealand. So, look, I, I'm, I, I was never totally convinced. They're both very good players in their own right. They're both very good footballers, great distribution skills. And sometimes it worked. But when they came up against the best teams, it didn't. And, um, you know, that that's that's my issue. So I think that clarity is what they need. If, if Borthwick believes that Farrell is the man for 10, at the moment, then he puts him there and he puts Smith on the bench. And when Farrell falters or if he falters or if he needs, you know, somebody to come on and lift the game in the last 20 or whatever else, that's the way they go. It's a rivalry between those two. And the idea of, of always shoehorning them into the side just makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, it is the fact that Eddie Jones felt that Farrell was a better 12 than he was a 10. Maybe. I had that conversation with him more than once. Yeah, well, that that, that was that was that was his view. Um, you know, 
if I if I knew better than Eddie, I'm sure I'd be earning his money. Yeah, well, Mark McCall disagreed, you know, and, um, you know, they've been pretty successful. Saracens were pretty successful with Farrell at 10, Barrett at 12, three European Cups, etc. So, you know, I, um, you know, I mean, you, you can beg to differ with Jones, certainly, you know. Yeah. And I would argue from the Smith point of view, a decent percentage of his best England performances have come off the bench. Um, yeah, him running off the bench at a tired event would certainly be a goer. Now, Scott, I'm conscious of time. I know um, you need to get going soon. Um, we're Look, we're not going to do the round and rugby. I just think there's too much to talk about. Yeah, okay, um, that's with fine. The, with the round and rugby 15. Sorry, I, yeah, I made that call in my head um, when I realised, yeah, we were just going to keep talking and talking. Did you know his favourite gym exercise? <laughs> <laughs> you can ask you him in your gym? own time, sure. Gym, gym exercise. Gym, gym exercise. Gym exercise. <laughs> question answered now i want to come back to something that was said earlier i can't remember who said it but they labeled france and ireland a title decider now you scott you are the last scotsman we're going to have on this podcast this six nations though a few of us may have switched nationalities by the end of it you are probably the only nation that could provide a rebuttal to that being a title decider how how high on cloud nine are you right now and could you present a case for scotland winning the six nations no i I, i'm a scotsman you must realize that we've had a lot of heart heartbreak we've got a a lot of optimism out there the old adage one game at a time it surely has to be that you know scotland have a chance against wales and surely they must take it this time around it's confidence is there in the camp they need to now stand up and back up that display on Saturday and deliver another 80-minute performance. And then they can go to France and worry about that one then. But first of all, 80 minutes first. And, you know, Grand Slams championships are bloody hard to win. And, you know, you have to get a, a lot has to fall in your favour. And, and here we are after round one already debating about selections, who's going to win what, you know, it was a marvelous. So let's let's be frank. It was a marvelous opening weekend of the Six Nations. Six Nations and rugby is back in the box office. You know, I, I was sitting somewhere. I hadn't a clue what happened in football last weekend because it was dom- sport was dominated by rugby, and that's great to see. So, back into the round two of the Six Nations, all the fans will be appearing all over. You know, the French into Dublin and the Italians into Twickenham, and of course the Welsh fans. I think. They started arriving from the valleys even this afternoon. So, you know, great traditions within the games, and uh, we're just hoping for an exciting, you know, weekend two as as we got in weekend one. Do you mean to say, Scott, that you didn't watch Stenhouse Muir beating Celtic four 0 in the weekend? <laughs> Brilliant. I certainly did. I I only had one game on my mind, and hence the reason for a few slip ups in terms of French names and who was available or not because. It really was. That Calcutta Cup was right up there. It was a, a joyish occasion and um, everybody's buzzing, certainly north of the border. And, and I know a lot of Scotsmen enjoying going to work this morning south of the border. <laughs> <laughs> Just one final question. We spoke about England, uh, Scotland being a, a banana skin for England now. Do you think Wales are Scotland's equivalent in that, I think I'm right in saying the past two Six Nations, you've bested England in game one and then come unstuck against Wales game two. Will there be demons from that? No. Scotland Scotland have to realise that that's in the past now. They have put themselves in a really strong unit. They, they know that they haven't performed in round two 
over the last two years. It's now time to do that. And I think uh, Gregor Townsend will be reminding all the Scots that uh, they need to stick to their guns, stick to their game plan, and still play with that confidence. The scoreboard, you don't win a game in the first minute. You win, a, you win the game you know, in the last few minutes. And, and Scotland just have to keep that scoreboard ticking over, play well, not get complacent, stick to what they do well, and they'll gain that confidence from the crowd uh, and from within that, that allows that momentum into winning a game of rugby against, let, let's be frank, a, a Welsh team that will respond but are there to be taken this time round. If you, As you say, Scott, it's in the past and in the past it must remain. <laughs> hey, I've heard those lines somewhere before. Yeah, we're not, not so tuneful though, Chris. <laughs> not so tuneful. Let's forecast the predictions very, very quickly. So... As mentioned, Nick, you're the only one back in France um, and you're sticking by that. All of us are backing England against Italy, although some by greater margins than others. And I'm ashamed to say I am the only one backing Wales um, on the basis of that banana skin slip up of the past two years, although I'm feeling a little bit more ambivalent about that. But it's good to have differentials. Um, So we'll see with the Predictions League and reminders for the listeners that there are polls as well on the articles of the Predictions League that you can play along with at home. So do check those out. God, hell of an episode that. Um, We'll wrap up there. Yeah, there there was a lot to digest and a lot of great conversation. Um, Scott, thank you so much for finding the time. It sounds like you're crazily busy um, and (laughs) probably quite exhausted. But are you you at Murrayfield on Saturday? Yeah, well, might might nip along for a, for a wee one. The good thing is I'm not uh, commentating ITV. Don't have the rights for that one. It's a BBC game, so yeah, a lot of expectation. Um, you know, there's uh, the usual rugby functions on, and uh, a lot of fun to be had. So if you yeah. don't mind, guys, I'm gonna wish he's you all the very best. He's, Thank you very he's much. In the ma- he's in the Mastercard box with Daniel Carter and Johnny Wilkins. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. All the best. Cheers. Thanks so much, Scott. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.